Father in heaven, today we are grateful that you've given us another few moments to pause and to consider your leading in the history of your people as well as your will for us today. Right now, I just want to pray that you take my mind, um, that you'll give me the words to say, um, that you'll um, be with each of us as we consider these thoughts, that your spirit would, would teach us uh, what we need to know, that we might be able to better understand and, and enjoy and share the precious message of the Sabbath that we have. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to start by talking about the Sabbath and the Reformation. And um, I wish I could have spent um, all, I could have spent all six seminar periods just talking about um, the history of the Sabbath. And um, whether we started back with the change of the Sabbath to Sunday or Sabbath keepers throughout all time, it's one of my favorite issues, one of my favorite areas to study, and I'm not an expert at it. Uh, but I've tried to put together just a few thoughts post-Reformation about the Sabbath. Um, uh, I, one of the reasons I didn't do all six periods is because this week I moved, and uh, next week I'm getting married, and it's just a time when I don't have a, lo a lot of time to do a, a lot of new preparation. So I've been working with um, what I, what I had, the time that I have. And so we're talking about the Reformation. We'll start there even though there's plenty we could talk about beforehand. And the reformers, the, the mainline reformers had a view of the Sabbath which um, was very different than the Protestant churches today hold. Um, if you talk to most Protestants today, they will tell you that Sunday is the Sabbath. Um, or they will tell you that Sunday is the New Testament Sabbath. Okay, the Old Testament Sabbath was done away with. We don't have to keep the Ten Commandments, one of those lines. But um, they'll tell you that Sunday keeping today is required. In fact, you have movements, Sunday keeping movements, right? You have people who want to see Sunday legalized as a holiday. Um, that is much more mature in Europe today than it is in America, actually. Um, the Sunday sacredness movement is actually very strong within the European Parliament and other, um, other legislative bodies in Europe. We believe that it's going to become very strong in America too, right? We believe there will be a national Sunday law at some point where our nation will begin to legislate Sunday keeping. And many would be surprised, many Protestants would be surprised that the Reformers didn't see Sunday that way at all. Um, they viewed it quite differently. Uh, Martin Luther, speaking of the Sabbath commandment, says, This commandment does not concern us Christians, for it is altogether an external matter. That's, uh, sorry for the typo. Like the other ordinances of the Old Testament. So Luther would say that's completely done away with. Christians today will typically say the Sabbath has been transferred to Sunday, or we, you know, the early church recognized that Sunday was the new Sabbath, or something along those lines. Luther didn't say that at all. Luther did not believe that Sunday was the was the New Testament Sabbath per se. John Calvin also did not see Sunday as the biblical Sabbath or understand there to be any requirement for keeping a Sabbath. That was all in the past. What Calvin argues on a number of occasions, he argues that, the, that what is required of the church is convocation. It's required the church meets together. And so at some point, just for order and organization, we have to decide when that's going to take place, right? Or else we're never going to meet together. And Sunday is as good a day as any day. 
because, um, you know, it's tradition or so forth, but it's not a matter of keeping the Sabbath. You understand what Calvin was saying? Calvin did not believe that Sunday was sacred. He did not believe that it was a time that was like the seventh-day Sabbath, 24 hours set apart by God, holy time. He believed that, that um, on the other hand, that Sunday was simply a convenient time for the church to gather together for meetings. There were, however, reformers um, who differed from, from uh, Luther and Calvin. Um, Andreas Bodenstein von Karlstadt was one of those. He was at first a colleague of Luther and later somewhat of a rival of Luther's. They, um, they disagreed quite strongly. And one of the issues that came between him and Luther, sorry, uh, well, anyway, um, was the issue of Sabbath observance. Hold on, let me just fix something real quick here. I'm sorry. I've got a clock in the middle of my screen. I can't see very well. So I'm just going to move it briefly. There we go. All right. Maybe that'll work better. So one of the issues that he had was the issue of Sabbath keeping. Karlstadt thought that Sabbath keeping was important for Christians, and he saw Sunday observance as a human invention. And notice what he says here. He says, Sabbath keeping has a double object. In obedience, we must rest in peace and pray to God for all holiness and wait to receive it. This rest is realized in man's recognition that holiness comes from no other source than Christ and that we must be holy as God is holy. We can agree with that, can't we? Karl Stadt probably had more in common with some of the later pietist-type reformers, um, but what he taught about the spiritual value of the Sabbath was certainly revolutionary for his day. And um, while we could talk a lot about some of the other reformers, I want to just spend a little bit of time talking about what took place in England after the Reformation. In January of 1583, eight people were killed at a bear-baiting exhibit in uh, the Paris Gardens just outside of London. Now, bear-baiting is something we don't do as a sport anymore. We have our own vicious sports, our own uh, mercenary sports, I suppose, today. But bear-baiting basically is where they chained bears, and they had wild dogs try to attack them. And um, they, would, uh, they would see this... Uh, as great entertainment, vicious packs of dogs would attack these chained bears. In 16th century England, this was popular. Uh, Queen Elizabeth herself was a fan of bear baiting. And um, we might think that was rather cruel and inhumane, but um, this was the sport at the time. And this particular incident took place on a Sunday afternoon, which was one of the things that really incited the Puritans. The Puritans were... Um, were already convicted that Sunday needed to be kept sacredly. Sunday needed to be kept holy. So in breaking, they were, they were breaking from the traditional mainline Protestant thought and really adopting more of the thinking about the Sabbath that Karlstadt had, that Sabbath is a holy day, except they were applying it not to Saturday, but they were applying it to Sunday. Are you with me? So this is what the Puritans were doing. The Puritans were reading their Bibles, and they were saying, this, well, Sabbath is supposed to be kept holy, and they saw that as Sunday. And so they said, wow, God is judging England for doing these bear-baiting exhibits on Sabbath, which was, um, of course, it was on Sunday, but it was their Sabbath, right, their holy day. And so this was by many prominent Puritans. The bear-baiting 
um, accident was uh, given as a judgment of God, seen as a good judgment for God, a punishment for Sabbath breaking. And um, following that, about 20 years later, this movement among the Puritans continued to grow, and um, they signed what, what we refer to as the millinery petition. Supposedly up to a thousand or over a thousand preachers from the Puritan uh, persuasion, or at least leaning towards the Puritan persuasion, uh, signed a petition that they gave to James, King James I, um, asking for a revival and a reformation of Sabbath keeping in England, because they believed Sunday was being desecrated and not being honored as the true Sabbath. They believed things like the bear baiting and other sports should not be tolerated on Sabbath. You understand the reformers, in many cases, really didn't understand this concept of the separation of church and state <laughs> to the point that we do today, um, and which would be developed in America. Um, these Puritans believed that, that these things need to be outlawed by the state because this was Sabbath breaking, you see. So the millinery petition was signed, and King James uh, gave some thought. King James, you're familiar with because of our King James Version Bible, right? But King James gave it some thought, and um, being the king, he was also the head of the church. And um, eventually he wrote or released um, what's known as the Book of Sports. And the Book of Sports was a, uh, basically a rejection of the Puritan claims for a a revival and a reformation of Sabbath keeping. And he said it's okay to play games on Sabbath. It's okay to do these things on, on Sunday and not on Sabbath, but on their, on their Sabbath. So the book of sports was a rejection of the Puritan claims. He, he sided more with the mainline clergy in saying no, Sunday is not a special day that we have to observe today. So three views of Sabbath keeping basically came out of England at the time or were, were developing at the time. The first two were quite prominent and easily uh, traced in the thinking of the Protestant world um, through England as well as much of Europe. The reformers viewed that no Sabbath command is still binding today, uh, but since churches must convene on a convenient day, Sunday is an appropriate custom. So we might as well meet on Sunday as any other day, right? It's not that that's a Sabbath, it's not that it's a holy day, but that's a convenient time for the church to have its convocations, which God does require. That's, more, that's Calvin's argument that he... he um, he repeats over and over. It's a Sunday is that convenient day. The Puritans, on the other hand, represented a second view of Sabbath keeping, and that is that Sunday should be kept as the biblical Sabbath, a holy day according to the commandment. Those are the ones who wanted to get rid of the sports on Sunday and thought that the bear baiting accident, accident was a, a punishment of God, right? So this is a second view, and there was a, a growing view, and most of these um, this is the view that would have come to dominate those who immigrated to America. The view that Sunday was the holy day, and it was a Sabbath day. And this is, by the way, the view that's, that today dominates in America still, right? Today, most Christians are not going to make the argument that Calvin made. The argument that Sunday is just a convenient day for worship, it's a tradition, it's custom, there's no such thing as a Sabbath today. Most of the Christians today are going to think that Sunday is the biblical Sabbath, and some would even be calling also for it to be kept holy, as the uh, commandment commands. There was a third group, particularly in England, but uh, throughout Europe, really, um, and that was the Sabbatarian group. That's those, that, that group um, 
actually believed that the seventh day Sabbath was the Sabbath and that it was to be kept holy, that it's still binding to be kept holy according to the commandment. And we can look at a couple of those in England. Um, Dorothy Trask is one of those who comes to mind as one of the more prominent Sabbatarians. Actually, her husband was a pastor and, uh, in the London area. And uh, John preached, urging people to turn from Sunday observance to the true Sabbath. Now, as we just mentioned, there were already two other groups of Sabbath thought in England, right? So this third group of Sunday thought was really, or Sabbath thought, was, was, was by far the minority. And it was hated by both groups. Isn't that the way the truth often is? sort of in the minority and hated by the rest of the groups. I mean, you know, sometimes we talk about in evangelism, the, you know, the, the churches in a, in a community may all be uh, fighting each other until the Adventists come to town. And then they all become united, you know, because, and this is sort of the way that Sabbatarians found themselves in England during the, uh, during the 16th and 17th century. Um, these guys were fighting among the, you know, the Puritans and the Anglicans were fighting, and there, was a, there were two different views about Sabbath observance, but one thing they both agreed on, and that was the Sabbatarians were completely out of, out of bounds. They were completely missing the mark. John Trask began preaching, and it wasn't long before he was thrown into prison in 1617. He was in prison almost three years um, before he recanted, and he gave up his Sabbath views, his Saturday Sabbath views. He recanted. Dorothy, however, his wife remained in prison because she refused to recant. And as she died in prison, some 15, uh, some sources I've seen say 25 years later, over 15 years any later, she stayed in prison the entire time, her husband having abandoned her and the truth, and she staying in prison, refusing to give up the Bible Sabbath, which she believed was according to the commandment. Can you imagine being the only person that you knew of, basically, in England, keeping the Sabbath in prison? Your pastor husband has already given it up. Dorothy remained true to her Sabbath convictions. Um, John um, uh, James Oxford, Oxford uh, in 1560, so this is some years later, um, 30 years later or so, James Oxford published his book entitled The Doctrine of the Fourth Commandment Deformed by Popery. That's quite a title, isn't it? Pretty expressive, pretty clear what he must have been talking about. <laughs> And um, Oxford was a Baptist living in the city of Salisbury when the Salisbury mayor heard of these books that he had written and secretly published. He seized 100 copies of the books and he sent one of them to Parliament. And um, it took Parliament only a few days to come to a conclusion that this was to be condemned. And so Parliament resolved, it says, resolved by Parliament that all the printed copies of the said books be burnt. And uh, only one copy of Oxford's book, The Doctrine of the Fourth Commandment Deformed by Popery, exists today, and it's the Library of Christ Church in Oxford, England. Um, as for the author, he was excommunicated and sentenced to prison. So you can see Sabbath-keeping, Sabbatarians, were not very welcome in England during this time, during the 16th century. This is the time of, of Protestant England, the time of Protestant uh, Europe. Um, Peter Chamberlain, perhaps one of the most famous of the Sabbatarians in England. Peter Chamberlain was a physician to kings and queens, three actually sets of kings and queens, three um, generations or three monarchies. 
of kings and queens. In 18, 1682, he wrote an open letter to Lord High Chancellor in which he called the Pope, listen to this, he called the Pope the, the triple-crowned little horn changer of times and laws. So... Um, you can understand that um, Chamberlain had not fallen far from the Protestant tree. He was, this was, by the way, this wasn't something that would have been a shock to Luther or Calvin or any of the others, right? So this is, just, this is just good Protestantism. But what's interesting is that when he identifies the times and laws, he's specifically talking about in Daniel 7, right? And he's, he, the, the, the interpretation that he placed upon the times and laws included the Sabbath commandment. And um, that's what was interesting about his statement here. And if you look at his tombstone, a modern translation of his tombstone would read something like this. As for his religion, he was a Christian, keeping the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus, being baptized about the year 1648, and keeping the seventh day for the Sabbath above 32 years. So here you have a Sabbath keeper. He didn't die in prison. He was a well-known, well-respected friend of the royalty. But he was a Sabbatarian. He kept the seventh-day Sabbath for 32 years in England at the time. Now, we could, we could trace on down through the history of, of, uh, of Stephen Mumford. Stephen Mumford was the first Sabbatarian who came to America. We could talk about the Seventh-day Baptists. The Seventh-day Baptists, when they arrived in America, the, besides in Rhode Island, they weren't very well received either. And so what, it's interesting what the uh, Seventh-day Baptists did is they would, um, they, would, they would go outside of the established colonies and communities, and they would start their own Seventh-day Baptist community, basically a frontier village. And the reason was because that way they wouldn't be persecuted for breaking, the, breaking Sunday. That was the big thing, you know. I don't know if keeping Sunday, Sabbath was always such a stumbling stone, but if they were caught working on Sunday, it was very offensive to the to the largely Puritan influence type of thinking around them. And so it's very interesting if you, if you trace the Seventh-day Baptists. Seventh-day Seventh Baptists began on the East Coast, of course, but as they, would, as they would build a community, other people would start to join their community because they're usually prosperous communities, you know, frontier villages. Other people would move in until there was enough people that, that they were beginning to feel outnumbered and ostracized all over again, so they would move west. And the Seventh-day Baptists continued moving west. They just kept moving across the country. And, of course, it would be the Seventh-day Baptists who would introduce the Seventh-day Sabbath to Adventists. And um, then the uh, message would become, I guess you would say, maybe receive a more uh, mainstream hearing as Seventh-day Adventists have taken the message of the Sabbath to the world. Let's just um, look here for a moment at what Ellen White says, the purpose of the Sabbath. And um, I, this is, this, as I have studied the Sabbath through the years and I've had various uh, encounters and challenges with Sabbath keeping and how to know how to keep the Sabbath, this has been a guiding principle for me that has helped me to understand some of what the Sabbath is all about. It's found in Gospel Workers, page 209. And it says this, they should devote their time and energies to spiritual exercises that the divine influence resting upon the Sabbath may attend them through the week. Of all the days in the week, none are so favorable for devotional thoughts and feelings as the Sabbath. Did you ever realize that? You know, often we read uh, Genesis 2, 2, and 3, you know, and on the seventh day God 
finished his work, he ended his work, and he rested, and he blessed the seventh day and hallowed it, right? Uh, well, we read that about blessing it, and we read it in the fourth commandment, God rested and he blessed, and we, we don't really stop to think, what does it mean to be blessed, right? We tend to just think, well, that means that we can't do secular things on Sabbath. And we tend, as Adventists, I'm, I'm, maybe I'm overgeneralizing when I say we, uh, I should just speak for myself, but as in growing up in the Adventist church, I tended to think more of the Sabbath as some, uh, the day where um, you didn't do certain things, and that was Sabbath keeping. Does that make sense? Have you ever thought that way? And so there were certain things you just didn't do. You didn't do this on Sabbath, you didn't do that on Sabbath, you didn't do something else on Sabbath, and then you were keeping the Sabbath. That's what it meant to keep the Sabbath. And I've met many, I've met many Adventists, young and old alike, who have, who have looked back on their childhood raised within the Adventist church, and they have felt that Sabbath was a day of can't. It was a day of don't. And basically, it was something like this. And I hope this isn't any of your experiences. But um, it was something like this. We come home from church. And um, mom and dad go to sleep, and they leave a list of things you can't do. And if you get caught riding your bike or playing with a ball or whatever it is, then you're busted. You know, you're in trouble because it's Sabbath and you're breaking the Sabbath. And so young people, uh, I, I realize not everyone has had that experience, and I didn't actually growing up, even though I grew up in an Adventist, uh, in a conservative Adventist home, I didn't have that feeling about the Sabbath when I was growing up. But I've heard that many, many times. And I don't think it's all that unusual. Sabbath was a time of can'ts. You can't do this. You can't do that. And um, what, I've, what I've learned as I, lo as I look at this statement, as I study the, the principle, is that there's, there's a lot that you can do on Sabbath that you can't do the rest of the week. In fact, for spiritual thoughts and devotional exercises, the blessing of the Sabbath means that that's the most profitable time of the week to do it. Do you know if you study your Bible on Sabbath, you'll get more out of it than you study it on Sunday or Friday or any other day? It's blessed. That's what it means. It's not blessed for making money. It's not blessed for doing secular things, right? There's no special blessing of secular occupation on the Sabbath. You can do that just as well on Friday or Wednesday. I mean, imagine if, you, if, I, if I were to tell you, you know, okay, certain hour of day, uh, certain day of the week, um, if you spend your time surfing on the internet, you're going to be paid $100 an hour. Some of you would say, okay, I'm going to make sure I don't schedule anything else during that time so that I can, I mean, how many of you would say, you know what, I think I'm going to go mow the lawn during those hours? Or would you say, I'll mow the lawn beforehand so I can surf on the internet and get paid the $100 an hour? You would, you, would, you would sort of quarantine that time, right, for the use that it was more profitable for. Unless you earn more than $100 an hour, then it wouldn't be of interest to you at all. Uh, maybe I should use $1,000 an hour or something else, right? So all I'm trying to say is God has set aside these hours as the 24 hours of the week that are blessed for a certain thing. And so it only makes, it only makes sense for us to try to take out of those 24 hours everything we can so that we can put into those 24 hours the things that are blessed. Are you with me? That is, in a nutshell, as I understand, the principle behind most Sabbath-keeping. Taking out of it the things that are not blessed so we can put into it the things that are blessed. That's just good stewardship. That just makes good common sense. 
You'll get the most out of your 168 hours of the week if you capitalize on the most efficient hours for the most efficient things, right? And so that is what Sabbath keeping in a, in a nutshell um, is about. We'll look at some other principles here to augment that. No other institution, sorry, no other institution which was committed to the Jews tended so fully to distinguish them from surrounding nations as did the Sabbath. God designed that its observance should designate them as his worshipers. It was to be a token of their separation from idolatry and their connection with the true God. But in order to keep the Sabbath holy, men must themselves be what? Be holy. Through faith, they must become partakers of the righteousness of Christ. When the command was given to Israel, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. The Lord said also to them, you shall be holy men unto me. Only thus could the Sabbath distinguish Israel as the worshipers of God. So true or false? It's possible just to think about spiritual things on Sabbath, to get the most of it on, out of your Sabbath hours, your 24 blessed hours, and then be completely secular throughout the week. You know, sometimes we're Seventh-day Sabbaths, when we sh a Seventh-day Adventist, when we should be Seven-day Adventists, right? Sometimes we think, well, I'm just, you know, Sabbath is the day I do my spiritual things. Sabbath is the day I, I do, you know, church and I read my Bible and whatever else. But you can't really enjoy Sabbath on Sabbath, if you haven't had the other 144 hours of the week, spending time with God too and growing in Him. You can't be holy one day a week. It just doesn't work. It doesn't work. And so Sabbath becomes, Sabbath becomes a cornerstone to an entire lifestyle. Sabbath becomes simply a, a, like, like the gym in a setting of an entire way of life that is all a part of God's blessing. And in order to keep the Sabbath, we ourselves must be Sabbath. Let's look at some biblical principles that most young people, I find, or many young people today, aren't that familiar with. If you have your Bibles, you can turn with me to Leviticus chapter 23. Leviticus chapter 23 and verse 32. It's surprising to me how many times I meet Adventist young people, talk to them about the Sabbath, and they say, wow, I didn't even know the Bible said that so clearly. Leviticus chapter 23, verse 32 this is one example of a verse which is teaching us about the, when the Sabbath begins and when it ends. The Bible says, It shall be a, unto you a Sabbath of rest, and ye shall afflict your souls in the ninth day of the month at even. even uh, from even unto even shall ye celebrate your Sabbath. Now you remember in the early Adventist church, even after Joseph Bates and others... Um, the others accepted the Sabbath. There was a lot of controversy over when the Sabbath should begin. There were some, there was, there were some who felt very strongly, including, including some of our prominent leaders, that the Sabbath should begin at 6 o'clock. And they used arguments such as, what do you do when you live way up north in the North Pole or the Arctic Circle, and it's you know, in the wintertime and summertime, you have these extreme days. And so they used some of these these uh, examples, and they believe that you should have a six o'clock. And finally, finally, um, I, I, I could be wrong, but I believe it was Andrews that wrote the, the sort of the, the clarifying article that studied these principles and uh, convinced the Adventist leadership, the early Adventist leadership, that it was at evening, at sundown, sundown to sundown, the Sabbath should be kept. And um, we believe that, of course, is a, 
biblical principle today. What about another principle, such as the preparation of food? Exodus chapter 16, verse 23. Exodus chapter 16 and verse 23. And um, it says, And he said unto them, This is what the Lord has said. Tomorrow is the rest of the holy Sabbath unto the Lord. Bake what you will bake today, and seethe what you will seethe. For that which remains over lay up for you to be kept until the morning. So what were the Israelites instructed to do on this preparation day on, on Friday? They were supposed to prepare their food, right? They were supposed to cook ahead of time what they needed for the Sabbath day. There's also instruction given as to the preparation of clothes. We can look there at Exodus chapter 19. Exodus chapter 19. This was um, when they were to prepare to enter into the presence of God with Mount Sinai. Exodus chapter 19 and verse 10. The Lord said unto them, Go unto the people and sanctify them today and tomorrow and let them do what? Wash their clothes and be ready against the third day, for the third day the Lord will come down in the sight of all the people unto Mount Sinai. So when, when the God's people were uh, realizing that they were to be entering into the presence of God in a remarkable way, they were supposed to even have their physical appearance clean. Now, let, let, let's just stop and, and, and talk about that for just a minute. Is it because God is going to... I mean, why? Why clean your clothes, your garments, when you're going to the presence of God? I mean, wasn't God's presence always in this kind of glory there in the, in the tabernacle? Okay. Were you going to say something? Oh, just scratching. Um, I think it is symbolic of what's happening in the heart. Okay, I think it's symbolic of what's happening in the heart. And it also is something that gives us a tangible reminder of what we're supposed to do in the heart, as it were. Okay? So this cleaning of our clothes, cessation of business activities, Nehemiah chapter 13, verses 15 through 21. Nehemiah chapter 13, verses 15 through 21. The story here is of Nehemiah, the reformer. He says, In those days I saw in Judah some treading wine presses on the Sabbath and bringing in sheaves and lading asses as also wine and grapes and figs and all manner of burdens which they brought into Jerusalem on the Sabbath day. And I testified against them in the day wherein they sold victuals. And there dwelt men of Tyre also therein which brought, brought fish and all manner of ware and sold on the Sabbath unto the children of Judah and in Jerusalem. Then I contended with the nobles of Jerusalem and said unto them, What evil thing is this that you do and profane the Sabbath day? Did not your fathers thus and bring, did not our God bring all this evil upon us and upon this city? Yet ye bring more wrath upon Israel by profaning the Sabbath. And it came to pass that when the gates of Jerusalem began to be dark before the Sabbath, I commanded that the Sabbath, I'm sorry, that the gates should be shut and charged that they should not be opened till after the Sabbath. And some of my servants said I at the gates that there should be no burden brought in on the Sabbath day. So once or twice the merchants and the sellers lodged outside the city. They didn't really think uh, Nehemiah meant it. And perhaps if he hadn't put some of his own men out there, the, 
the leaders of the city might have sort of caviled and capitulated, but the, um, he, he meant business. The, the, the cessation of secular transactions, of business transactions, need not be performed on the Sabbath day. What about the secular conversations? Um, here's another principle we find in Isaiah chapter 58, talking about the Sabbath day as well. Isaiah 58, verses 13, uh, 12 through 14. And we have um, here, verse 12, I believe a prediction of God's last day people. It says, they, they that shall be of thee shall build up the old waste places. They shall raise up the, gen the foundations of many generations, and thou shalt be called the repair of the breach, the restore of paths to dwell in. If thou turn away thy foot from the Sabbath, from doing thy pleasure on my holy day, and call the Sabbath a delight, the holy of the Lord honorable, and shall honor him not doing thy own ways nor finding thine own pleasure, nor speaking thine own what? Words, Word. so even conversation. Then shalt thou delight thyself in the Lord, and I will cause thee to ride upon the high places of the earth, and feed thee with the heritage of Jacob thy father. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken it. We look also at another biblical principle, and that is that, that corporate worship is to be uh, practiced on the Sabbath. You remember that Jesus says in Luke, uh, or it is said of Jesus in Luke chapter 4, verse 16, as his, his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the seventh day and stood up for to read. We find that Acts 13 talks about Paul's practice of keeping the seventh day Sabbath, even though when he went to the city there in, in Acts chapter 13, he was, um, he was going to the uh, synagogue and many people would say, well, Paul just went to the synagogue because he wanted to talk to the Jews, and that's where the Jews were. But Acts 13 sort of gives us uh, evidence that's not what he, um, that's not the only reason he was worshiping on the synagogue on the Sabbath day. It says that, uh, verse 43 says, um, verse 42, when the Jews were gone out of the synagogue, so who had left the synagogue? The Jews left the synagogue. Those are the people that are keeping the seventh day Sabbath, right? And now, according to the typical um, evangelical thinking today, it's only the Gentiles left, so Paul's going to teach them that Sunday's the true Sabbath, right? Because that's the New Testament Sabbath, and they're not Jews. Um, but what actually happens is that the Gentiles besought that these words might be preached to them the next Sabbath. Verse 44 says, the next Sabbath day came almost the whole city together to hear the word of God. Now, if, if Sunday had been the, the, new, the, the apostles' day of worship, he would have said, I have an even better plan. Why don't you come tomorrow? Or why don't we meet tomorrow and we'll preach again, right? I mean, that's Sunday. That's, that's your Sabbath. That's the Gentile Sabbath. That's not what he said at all. The next Sabbath day, nearly the whole city came together to hear the word of God. So the, you see in both the, um, with the, the Old Testament, of course, we see the example of Jesus. We see the example of the apostles. We see the example of uh, John on the, on the uh, island of Patmos. He was in the spirit on the Lord's day. We believe that's the seventh day Sabbath. Um, and we see Hebrews 10.25. Turn with me there, and we'll look at that verse. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25. We see that... We have given, been given in a, a command, of course, as Calvin rightly understood. Well, we see it as a... Um, we see that it can be fulfilled on the biblical Sabbath. He at least understood that we needed to convene together. Verse uh, 25, Hebrews 10. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching. And so we have a, 
we have a, um, we're encouraged not just to keep the Sabbath going out into nature. And I think there's some times when it's helpful to take a Sabbath by yourself or with your family and just spend time with God alone, maybe on a hiking trail or a campsite or somewhere by the lake or somewhere with the Bible. But that shouldn't be a every week occurrence because the Sabbath is meant for convening together. And in, and in giving and in blessing, often we are ourselves blessed more as well. And so I, I've heard many, I've, I've, I've known of many through the years who have become part of home church movements or other movements, and they say, well, you know, I just don't get a blessing when I go to this church. I don't get a blessing. And I think, well, how much of a blessing did Jesus get when he went to the synagogue? How much was he really getting out of those sermons, you know? Jesus went to the synagogue to be a blessing. And sometimes we need to get their focus off of ourselves and start thinking of other people and the mission that God would have us to accomplish. And I can tell you, when, you are, when you're thinking in those ways, you will be blessed. Um, when you are a blessing, you will be blessed. And um, I've found that if I'm not blessed by a sermon, the problem is with me. Um, I've heard some rather hideous sermons. But if I'm thinking about how terrible the sermon is, instead of saying, Lord, is there something here for me? I'm probably not going to get a blessing, but God can speak to me through just about any person. And um, I understand if some people have, there may be some places where, um, you know, you can't, you really have to find a better place to worship. And I'm not saying you should just go anywhere, but I am saying that we need to have a spirit and an attitude to be a blessing and to seek to, to be a blessing. But as I look at these as I look at these principles, these biblical principles of Sabbath, and these are a few of them, but they cover a lot of the basics. Uh, there are two basic principles that underlie them. And that's what I want to um, just sort of think about with you today. The first one is this. Because the hours of the Sabbath are blessed for what kind of thoughts and activities? Spiritual thoughts and activities. Anything secular robs us of that blessed time with Him. Does that make sense? Like I was talking about earlier. We take out what is not blessed on the Sabbath day so we can put in what is blessed. And so when I look at some of these principles, like we were talking about here, um, uh, these principles, why do we prepare food? Why do we prepare our clothes? Why do we stop doing our business activities? Why do we do these things to prepare for the Sabbath ahead of time? It's not simply because not cooking on Sabbath is keeping the Sabbath. Are you with me? But somehow, I think we start to think that way. We start to think, if I just don't cook on Sabbath, if I just don't wash my clothes on Sabbath, if I just have my shoes polished before Sabbath, I just, then I'm keeping the Sabbath. And our Sabbath, keeping actually our Sabbath keeping actually stops on Friday evening. Because it's what we don't do on Sabbath. And I'm arguing that it is what we do do on Sabbath that is real Sabbath keeping. What we don't do just simply allows us to do that. Okay? And so if we're, if we're just thinking of what we don't do on Sabbath, if I don't, 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 like I said the other day, um, then, then, then everyone in the cemetery down the road down here would be perfect Sabbath keepers, right? <laughs> because each Sabbath that comes and goes, they're not, they're not doing any of those things. But are they keeping the Sabbath? No, they're not keeping the Sabbath. And so we, 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 we tend to, like I said, we tend to like checklists, right? And so we can... We can check this off. We've done this, we've done this, we've done this, and therefore we've kept the Sabbath. When all we've done is simply, we've simply, we've simply availed ourselves of some of the 
the advantages to being able to keep the Sabbath, but we haven't even started to keep the Sabbath until the sun sets on Friday. And then we can enjoy those blessed hours with God. And so the first principle that I think underlies those other principles that we talked about, whether it's Sabbath preparation of our food, of our home, so forth, um, the first principle underlying that is because the hours are blessed for spiritual thought and anything secular robs us of time with Him. The second principle is that because the Sabbath is when we meet the Holy Creator God, our hearts should be cleansed and purified into His presence, and our outward surroundings should be illustrative of our inward condition. In other words, if you're going to, if you're going to have your heart purified and cleansed and ready to rest from sin on the Sabbath, your external surroundings should, should, should match that internal condition of your heart. And... Um, you know, it's interesting when, when you stop and think about it. I don't know if you've ever experienced the difference between trying to keep the Sabbath and just rest and spend time with God in a messy house or a clean house or a messy room and clean room. Have you, you had that experience yourself and you know the difference? There's just something different when the house isn't ready, when you're not ready. And so um, when we talk about some of, these, some of these principles, we can see that these, these have underlying them these two basic ideas. Let's look at some of what Ellen White says about these principles. God requires that his holy day should be sacredly observed now as in the, day of, in the time of Israel. The command given to the Hebrews should be regarded by all Christians as an injunction from Jehovah to them. The day before the Sabbath should be made a day of preparation, that everything may be in readiness for its sacred hours. In no case should our business be allowed to encroach upon holy time, God has directed that the sick and suffering be cared for. The labor required to make them comfortable is a work of mercy and no violation of the Sabbath. But all unnecessary work should be avoided. Many carelessly put off till the beginning of the Sabbath little things that might have been done on the day of preparation. This should not be. Work that is neglected until the beginning of the Sabbath should remain undone until it is past. This course might help the memory of these thoughtless ones and make them careful to do their own work on the six working days. So, do you see what she's saying here? She's actually saying that um, work that is neglected until the beginning of the Sabbath should remain undone until it's past. Have you ever heard or have ever read where she says, if, if when the Sabbath comes, you've only polished one of your boots, then you should go to church with one of your shoes polished and one of them not polished. You think, wow, that seems so legalistic. That seems so, like, detail-oriented, you know. Why, why would you want to go to church with one, shoe, one boot blacked and one boot not blacked, you know? I mean, how, how hideous that would be. After all, I mean, there are things that we do on Sabbath to make ourselves look presentable, right? I mean, we do get up and do our hair. It takes me less time to do my, polish my boot than it would some of you to do your hair, you know? <laughs> So why would she say something like this? If the principle is what you do on Sabbath, not what you don't do, why is she making such a big deal about what you don't do? And the, the, the answer to that question is found within the passage itself. She says that if the principle is that you'll be less likely to forget next time. You'll be less likely to forget next time. Notice what she said again. Work that it is neglected until the beginning of the Sabbath should remain undone until it is past. This course might help the memory of these thoughtless ones and make them careful to do their own work on the six working days. So what she's saying is, I don't think that's, 
I don't think it's I don't think it's Sabbath breaking to do your hair. Right? Depends on how long it takes. <laughs> Ooh, this is dangerous. Um, but the point is, doing your hair isn't something you can do the day before, right? Aha. Uh -huh. Doing your polishing your boots is. So what you can do the day before, do the day before. And if it, if out of carelessness, you did not get it done, let it go undone because next time you'll remember. If you wear that wrinkled shirt class to, to church or, or don't have the dress ready that you wanted to wear and you, you have the temptation just to go ahead and iron it anyway, I think what Ellen White's trying to say is just go ahead and wear something else, leave it wrinkled, whatever it is, but teach yourself not to be careless on Friday to prepare for the Sabbath. So this gives me a little bit of help because one time, let me, let me share with you a personal experience and, and uh, we have a few more minutes. So... Um, I say this, you know, some of these things are very difficult because I don't want to, any, I don't want to leave a wrong impression by telling personal experiences or giving you um, examples that may be not very common. I don't know, but I'll, I'll just, the, one of the first times I started grappling with this question of Sabbath, or it's what it is and what it isn't, was when I was, I was in... Um, I was going to do an evangelistic series or work with an evangelistic series in Europe. And um, we, were, we were traveling to Eastern Europe from Berlin. And um, I had to pick up some people in Czech Republic or Hungary, I don't remember. But um, at any rate, when we got to a border crossing, well, first of all, we, we started off on Thursday. It was like Friday, Friday morning. We were... We were heading towards Eastern Europe and uh, going across Hungary, I believe it was. And it seemed as though every time, every time we just got on the road, someone in the van, there were seven people in the van, maybe six besides myself. And um, every time we got on the road, there was somebody that needed something, you know. They wanted to change money. I'm like, why are you going to change money? We're crossing the border in a couple hours. Well, I just wanted money. Well, we needed some napkins. Where are you going to find napkins in Hungary, you know, in the early, in the 90s? You just people don't throw away paper napkins like they do in here in America, you know. And so it was just, you know, we're hunting for them. Finally, I said, said something along the lines of, you know, if we don't start making better time, this we're not going to be there before Sabbath, because I knew once we crossed the border, we were going to be, um, you know, in uh, substandard roads. If it got dark, it would take us a very long time. And um, so, okay, well, this, then it became important. There was an older couple with me, very, very lovely people. And um, they were intent, they we wanted to get there for Sabbath. So when we got to the border, it was about Friday noon, and um, there was a six-hour wait to cross the border. And um, so during those six hours, I had quite a bit of time to plan my strategy. My strategy was once we got across the border, I was going to go as far as I could, as fast as I could, stop and get gas before Sabbath, and then, you know, drive the rest of the way. I mean, we had, we were expected to, preached the next day, and our meetings were starting, and, you know, we had to get there. And so that was my plan. That's how I felt we could best keep the Sabbath under the circumstances. And um, so that's what I did. And um, we, we had this Toyota van, seven-passenger van, with the luggage piled four feet above on the roof rack. And um, on level ground, the top speed was about 60 miles an hour, you know. It wouldn't go very fast. 
but um, on those roads, it felt like you were really flying, especially when you're passing, you know, tractors and horse-drawn implements and things like that. So, so we get across the border, and I'm I'm going as fast as I can down these roads and passing everything in sight. And I'll never forget the lady behind me. She said to her husband, she says, "Honey, I'll never complain about your driving again." <laughs> So, so before, you know, it was summertime, so the sundown was late. It was probably 10 o'clock or so in northern latitude. And so um, we made several hours before I pulled over at a gas station, filled up the gas tanks well before Sabbath, and continued on as, as, well, as, I, as well as we could. And sure enough, when it got dark, it seemed like the whole country came out onto the street um, wearing black. And... Um, you know, they just park things on the road. I guess it's the most convenient place to park, and no reflectors and no lights, and so you're going really slow, and it's just, you know, you're, it, it, was, it was rough. And um, around midnight, we went through the last major city before our destination, and, um, and um, I, saw this, I saw this man standing by the side of the road waving something. I said to the person next to me, um, actually, uh, the person sitting in the front seat, some of you may know, uh, Stephen Allred. I said to him, was, was that a policeman? He said, yeah, I think it might have been. And I said, um, did he want us to stop? Because it looked like he was waving one of those flashlights thing. but I think the batteries were dead. And um, he said, well, I don't know. And uh, so I stopped. I probably shouldn't have because we were well on down the road by then. I don't think they had a car. But um, we stopped, and the policeman came running up beside us, and he started talking really excitedly. And um, I didn't speak the language, but uh, it was Romanian. But I knew that um, he was trying to say that I was going 100 kilometers an hour in the city. And I knew I hadn't been. That was like the top speed the van would go. He said, you were going 100 kilometers. I said, no way. I said, impossible. He says, oh, um, 50? I said, well, maybe. So we got into this long discussion, if you could call it that, with him trying to say that we owed him 5,000 lei, a change meal. And it sounded like saying he was saying, change me, you know, a little bit like that. And he just kept saying that, repeating it over and over and over and over. And, and I didn't, you know, you can only play dumb for so long. I knew what he was saying. I knew what he wanted. But I, I kept saying he didn't understand a word of English. And I was saying things like, well, I wish I could change you, but I can't. And, and then, then everyone in the van started laughing. I said, stop laughing, you know. But it just wasn't going very well. I was tired. And so finally, I had to pay the 5,000 lei, um, which was about $1.75. And, um, on the Sabbath. So we get to our destination. We get to our destination. And it's like 2 o'clock in the morning, you know, and we're tired. And the next day, uh, one of our group came to me, and, uh, well, we had a little bit of a meeting together after church. And, and she said, you know, I believe that um, we, we broke the Sabbath last night by driving on the Sabbath. And... God can't bless our efforts here until we repent of his Sabbath keep breaking. You know? And with all due respect, I really appreciated her concern about it. But I didn't know what to think. I didn't know what to say. I didn't know what, how to relate to that. Because 
I felt that I had done the very best that I could under the circumstances, you see. I felt that I had done, I didn't have any choice. And I looked at the different options I could have had. Um, we could have gotten a hotel room for everyone and kept stayed the whole Sabbath. But would, have, would keeping the Sabbath in a hotel room somewhere and paying for the hotel room have been a better keeping the Sabbath than driving on through the night and you know, being with our church that we were supposed to be with? And so this, this began a real struggle in my mind to try to understand what is Sabbath keeping, what is not Sabbath keeping? What is Sabbath keeping, what is Sabbath breaking? And I, I, I began studying these principles and, and I, I, I take these, 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 these uh, passages very seriously where she says, you know, we'll leave one boot unblacked. But at the same time, she gives the principle behind that is that you'll remember not to, do it, to be so careless next time. What if it wasn't because of carelessness? What if because of no, nothing that you could have prevented, you need to even buy some gas on the Sabbath? Or as Ellen White talks about, as much as possible, she says, traveling on the cars should be avoided on Sabbath. That's talking about on the train, right? It'd be our equivalent of probably flying on an airplane. As much as possible, we should avoid that. The atmosphere is not conducive to Sabbath keeping. But she says, when you do, when the ministry of the work of God requires you to travel on Sabbath, then you should try to do everything you can to maintain that atmosphere and that spirit and that Sabbath keeping in your heart. And from these things, I began to develop my own understanding of the Sabbath. The Sabbath is not a checklist of things I don't do. It's, a, it's, it's actually what I do on the Sabbath. It's, this, it's the spiritual experience that I have with Jesus. Please don't interpret me to say that you can go out and do whatever you want on the Sabbath and buy and drive and travel and whatever else. That's not what I'm trying to say. We should try to do the very best we can. But sometimes, and I still feel to this day, as I've studied it and I've prayed about it and I've considered it, I think the best thing we could do was to buy the gas before Sabbath, as much as careful, as much as we could to guard the Sabbath, and then to continue on. Because otherwise, we would have checked off our checklist we didn't drive on Sabbath. But we would have been staying in some sort of hotel in substandard conditions with a whole bunch of people in a room that would not make Sabbath keeping necessarily the most conducive compared to being with our team at the church where we are expected to minister on that Sabbath day the next day. And so there's sometimes when we have to, we have to stop, we have to look beyond the, the, the typical lists of what we do and we don't do, and we have to look at the principles behind it. That's what I'm trying to say to you. We need to do it maturely, and we need to do that, we need to do that with the spirit of trying to seek the very best, right? and of wanting to do everything we can to honor God. If there is a revival of true godliness in our life, if, if there's holiness in our life the six days of the week, on the seventh day, God is going to be able to guide us in knowing how to best keep the Sabbath holy, how to best apply the principles of Sabbath keeping. But what we don't need is a whole generation of Adventists that just have a whole bunch of lists of do's and don'ts and checklists, and they don't understand that not doing those things doesn't mean that, doesn't mean that they kept the Sabbath at all. We need to keep the Sabbath holy from the heart by spending that time with Him. And so work that is neglected until the beginning of the Sabbath should be... Um, oh, and I hear I have this uh, principle, this statement. I forgot I'd put that in. 
If any neglect to do such work on a working day, they should have respect enough for God's holy time to let their beards remain unshaven, their boots rough and brown until the Sabbath is passed. This might help their memory and make them more careful to do their own work on the six working days. You see another example there. Um, she says also on Friday, let the preparation for the Sabbath be completed. See that the clothing is in readiness. Sorry. And that all the cooking is done. Let the boots be blacked and the baths be taken. It is possible to do this. If you make a rule of it, you can do it. The Sabbath is not to be given to the repairing of garments, to the cooking of food, to pleasure-seeking, or to any other worldly employment. Before the setting of the sun, let all secular work be set aside, and let all secular papers be put out of sight. Parents, explain your work and its purpose to your children. Let them share in your preparation to keep the Sabbath according to the commandment. Now, um, you know, some people have, well, we won't even talk about some of these other things. I believe there are two principles when it comes to bathing on the Sabbath. And um, you have... Um, one is the principle of doing things that can be done on other days of the week, um, on other days of the week. And you realize that, in, of course, she's writing from a time period where it was not customary for people to bathe every day. And so it was always, it was, if you, you could bathe on, on uh, the day before the Sabbath, it was, it was better use of the Sabbath time. It also took longer. By 1900, 1905, um, the elite in America had running water and bathtubs in their homes. That was a big thing, actually, a big craze. Um, but most of the time, when she writes these statements, she's talking about it before they had running water, and it took a fair bit of time. But there's a second principle here, and that is the principle of being ready to meet God, right? Of having your outside clean as a symbolic or illustrative of your internal condition. And so whether or not you feel in your mind, as you look at these principles, that it's acceptable for you to take a shower on Sabbath morning or not, I think the principles would still hold true that it's best to have, to be showered and clean and ready before the Sabbath. I think that that second principle still applies to this topic as well. And um, what to do on the Sabbath, devotional thought, corporate worship, sharing your faith, enjoyment of nature. Ellen White says during a portion of the day, all should have an opportunity to be out of doors. How do you like that? How can children receive a more correct knowledge of God and their minds be better impressed than in spending a portion of their time out of doors? Not in play, but in company with their parents. Let their young minds be associated with God in the beautiful scenery of nature. Let their attention be called to the tokens of His love to man in His created works, and they will be attracted and interested. They will not be in danger of associating the character of God with everything that is stern and severe. But as they review the beautiful things which He has created for the happiness of man, they will be led to regard Him as a tender, loving Father. They will see that His prohibitions and injunctions are not made merely to show His power and authority, but that He has, had, that he has the happiness of His children in view. As the character of God puts on the aspect of love, benevolence, beauty, and attraction, they are drawn to love Him. You can direct their minds to the lovely birds making the air musical with their happy songs, to the spires of grass and the gloriously tinted flowers in their perfection, perfuming the air. Excuse me. All these proclaim the love and skill of the heavenly artist and show forth the glory of God. Do you, do you sort of get a sense that keeping the Sabbath sometimes takes a little bit of planning, maybe a little bit of initiative, maybe a little effort? It's a lot easier to make a checklist of things we don't do and then go to bed. And let your kids keep the Sabbath by not doing, riding their bike or playing the ball or whatever it is that don't do, you know? But she's saying, parents, take the initiative to do the things you should be doing with your kids. And if you're doing the things that you should be doing, your kids will never even think of the things they didn't do or couldn't do. Growing up, I never thought so much of what we couldn't do because we were always doing something that we should have been doing, right? And um, you can preempt a lot of those 
problems with children if you just take the initiative. But sometimes we're so busy working throughout the last six days that we just use the Sabbath as our catch-up day for sleep. And, um, and that's really, I think, one of the challenges that we face as Adventists. We're, we're just so busy. So, again, sharing your faith, enjoyment of nature, helping others, strengthening family relationships. These are the things that God intends for the Sabbath hours to be blessed for. And I want to do them as much as possible. How about you? Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for giving us this gift of the Sabbath. Lord, we can see how the Reformers grappled with the biblical understanding, and not all of them came to the right understanding. Some of those men that you used to bring great truths to this world did not understand the Sabbath. And it was left to others to, uh, to walk on their shoulders and to, to progress beyond where they stopped. And Lord, we too have been given the advantage of those who have gone before. And yet, sometimes we're in danger of falling behind where they were. I just pray, Lord, that you'll help us as last-generation Seventh-day Adventist young people. Help us to be Sabbath keepers in the true sense of the term. Help us to experience the blessing that these 24 hours have and they hold for your people. Help us to be ready for your Sabbath when it comes, not just externally in the checklist of things we prepare, but, Lord, in our hearts that we might be able to enjoy the special blessing that these hours have. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.